Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Joshua, chapter number 7. Joshua, chapter number 7. It seems like chapter 6 gets all of the attention most of the time, and for good reason. It is an absolute great story. But chapter 7, and I want you to notice what I just said and notice the very first word of chapter 7, but but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. That very first word speaks volumes. It's Someone someone said that it is one of the scariest words in any language. Most of the time, what follows is not good. It's kind of like whenever you hear somebody say, you know, I, I, I don't aim to be critical, but <laughs> and that's exactly what they're going to do. You know it's coming, and uh, we just, uh, we just, you know, see that word and it automatically should get our attention because it's it is a turning point and it's been the turning point in a lot of people's lives i've seen people that were raised in church people that had every advantage of you know being raised in the christian home everything going for them and uh, but all of a sudden uh, their life took a different direction and that's kind of what we see here because we see a glorious victory. Uh, there, the Israelites getting the victory over Jericho, and now here is a turning point. Things are, are different. They go from good to bad, from joy to sorrow. And uh, I think there's a lesson in that for us. I want you to notice the situation. It's been a couple of years, I think, since I preached from this chapter, and normally I might be concerned about that, but after my question last Sunday night about Sunday morning, I don't think it'd matter if I preached this two weeks ago. I'd probably preach it again tonight because, you know, I, I, I guess maybe it's a, a preacher pride that makes us think people's going to remember what we say. <laughs> you, you know, you talk about a joke. I mean, there might be a few. It's so strange, too, how times have changed. I remember back when I got saved and uh, as a new Christian, uh, you could look out on the congregation, and, and, and Bev can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say at least 40 to 50% of the people had not only their Bible open, but they had a notebook and they were taking notes. And that, that's what I did. And uh, when, I, when I got saved, I just thought that's what good Christians do. You hear a sermon, you always take notes. And, and boy, I did on absolutely everything. And, and I realized that uh, times have changed. People have changed. Our attention spans not nearly so long nowadays, but... Who do we have to blame for that but ourselves? Let me, I'll get to the sermon later on. I, I just want to talk for a while. I'm, I, you know, I was thinking this afternoon, you know, all, every preacher is different. Uh, and not only are they different, every preacher's got different styles. And uh, naturally, some people like one style, some people like another style. 
there are those, you know, that they want the preacher to pound the pulpit and spit and sputter and stomp and snort and, and what have you like, you know, down in the deep south, you know, and uh, he'd be walking on about six inches of his pant leg uh, because his pants are falling down. He's popping his suspenders and his hair's all messed up and, uh, and, and so forth. And then you've got those others that take a totally different approach. And then, you know, you, well, you've got everything in between, you know, the professor type that just got out of seminary and, and then the old southern preachers that beat the pulpit into splinters. And uh, we, all, we all got our favorite style, I guess. But I, I've got to tell you, if, if, if what the preacher is saying is scriptural and interesting and presented in a way that is understandable, I, I can kind of get something out of regardless of what his style is. And that raises the question, what, what are we responding to? The truth that sets us free or are we responding to a, a preacher's style of preaching? I don't know if that makes any sense to you at all, but I tell you, if we're not responding to the truth, and we all know sometimes during revival meetings, boy, you get some fireball in there, and boy, he's excited, the people love it, and whatever. Man, you just got all kinds of response. Uh, six weeks later, you can't even find those people. They, they're not even in church anymore. But they got all excited for the revival meeting. Now, that's the difference between responding to the truth of God's Word that sets us free and responding to a certain kind of sermon that we enjoy. It shouldn't be too hard to figure out, you know, which route we ought to take. Amen? And that's why God puts the responsibility on us to listen to the Word of God. Now, I've mentioned all of that for a reason. Had Israel listened to God this problem would have been avoided. I mean, this didn't have to happen, but it did. And I want you to notice the situation. Let's just read the first five verses. But the children of Israel committed trespass and the accursed thing. For Achan, the, the Carmite, the son of, of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all of the people go up, but let about oh, two or three thousand men go up to smite Ai, and make not all of the people to labor thither, for they are but few. And so they went up thither of the people, about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Sherem, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water." Now, now, get the picture. They've just won a great victory in capturing Jericho. And you can believe it or not, but let me tell you, it's during those 
times of victory, those high times that we celebrate, those joyful times where everything's going our way, that's usually the most dangerous time in our life. And that's what happens here. It causes us to be uh, to become proud. It causes us to become careless. And that's why we ought to never be content with what we've done in the past. You know, we can look back and say, well, you know, I used to do this or there was a time when I did that and so forth. And we can break our arm patting ourselves on the back about the things that we used to do. But, you know, that was then. This is now. It, it, it's all different. It's what we're doing for the Lord now that really matters. And this should have been an easy victory. They knew that. In fact, whenever they come back with the report to Joshua, they said, there's no need in sending all of our army up there. Just send two or 3,000, and there's no need for us really laboring at this. It's not going to be a big deal whatsoever. But... They suffered a crushing defeat, and 36 men died needlessly. So here they are, troubled and confused. How could this happen? And, you know, we look back sometimes, and and it might be from our personal experiences of some defeat that we've suffered, and we wonder to ourselves, how did I ever get here? How did I ever end up in a place in the condition like this or it might be a church or a family that we're thinking of a church that one time the gospel lamp was burning bright and now well now they just voted maybe last week to disband the church something happened it might be a family that we thought was rock solid you know, those kind that you need to build a strong church on and all of a sudden that church or that family is falling apart and we wonder what in the world happened. Well, that's what happened here with this nation. And notice verse 6. Here we see the sadness. And Joshua rent his clothes. And for you kiddos, that means he ripped them, he tore them. He rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide he and the elders of Israel and did put dust upon their heads. In other words, their defeat brought about anguish to Joshua and also to the elders. And notice, they don't hold back anything in expressing their feelings about the situation. You know, you think about a suit of clothes, for example. I, I've got to tell you, I've never, now a few times I maybe felt like it, but I've never stood up here in the pulpit and got so disturbed that I just took my coat off and ripped it and just tore it up and threw it down. I, I certainly never got so angry that I went outside and I had one preacher friend went outside and got in a fist fight. He didn't like something that was said, and so they went outside and had some fisticuffs about it, but I've, I haven't done that. Uh, but certainly go out there and sit down and throw dust up in the air and let it come down on my head. And somebody, what's wrong with Brother Stone? He's out there playing in the sand pile, you know, and throwing dirt up in the air. Has he lost his mind? Now, look, I, I haven't done that, but there ought to be a proper response to horrible situations. Uh, that, that, that's, that's my point here. And one of the things that 
that makes ministry difficult is not always being able to express your feelings. I kind of hinted at that this morning. Well, it really wasn't a hint. It's kind of like a stomp your toe, slap in the face kind of a deal whenever I was talking about, you know, the the trouble that preachers go through in trying to figure out what they're going to preach. You, just because you're feeling it doesn't mean you ought to be preaching it. And but, but let me tell you, that happens. Preachers are only human. And there's a lot of times because of what's going on in us or what's going on around us will affect us to the point that we, we just feel like we're just going to bust a gut if we don't get up there and say something about it. And so what do we do? Well, we take a text from the Bible and then preach away from it by getting up there and spewing all of our discontent all over everybody. Well, that doesn't accomplish anything. But I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a struggle a lot of times in trying to keep your feelings out. And by feelings, I'm talking about your opinions in regards to those issues. Because there's nothing wrong with feelings in and of themselves. There ought to be a proper response, and, 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 and I think that's what it was. Don't you? Thirty-six men died out there. Go ask their family. Ask those widows. How do you feel about this situation? It's a proper response. But that wasn't all they did. That, that would not have been good enough. For them to have said, yeah, we suffered the defeat. We really don't know what's going on or what caused it or anything. Uh, and and we've, we've expressed our sorrow for the families. To look how dirty I am. Look here at all my torn clothes. I, I, I'm just a mess. I want them to know that I really sympathize with them. It's a horrible, terrible thing that they lost their loved ones. And But there's more to do, and it's off, you know, to, well, another day, another dollar. Get on with business as usual now. You see, we do that a lot of times in our lives. There'll be a situation that in the first place should never exist, but a situation that causes people to get hurt, and we express our sorrow over it. Oh, we're just so so torn up. We're so grieved about that. But, oh, yeah, I've got an appointment here in 10 minutes, and, you know, well, we're, we, we just go right on with life. We never take any action in regards to those issues. So... Notice, as soon as their sorrow is expressed, the search begins. They want to find out what's going on. Notice verse 7, 8, and 9. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan? That doesn't sound like Joshua. No, it really doesn't because of the fact that he's acting a bit out of character now because of his disappointment, his heartache. Lord, why did you bring these people over Jordan? To deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? That's a question. Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. He didn't mean that. Now, he thought he did. At the moment, he is so disappointed. He's brokenhearted. Oh, Lord, what shall I say? When Israel turneth their backs before their enemies... You know, we're to be the victors. We're not supposed to get defeated. What am I, what do I say whenever our enemies, those little 
little bunch of people up there at that little city Ai, how in the world did they defeat us? Well, the Canaanites and all of the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall, and shall environ around us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will thou do unto thy great name? Now, there's a lot of interesting things there that I don't have time to comment on, but, uh, but I want you to notice that he has got a great concern about what other people are going to think about this. We just suffered this embarrassing defeat, and, and all of the Canaanites, everybody else, they're going to hear about it, and you better believe they were going to hear about it. You better believe the people there in Ai, they strutted out of that city and no doubt told everybody, hey, we just defeated the Israelites. They're nothing to worry about. But Joshua turns this thing around and says, Lord, uh, uh, notice, what will thou do unto thy great name? No, he's going to put you in a bad light, Lord. That, that's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I kind of read into that like he's trying to put God on some kind of a guilt trip. Lord, you let this happen, and uh, how do you think that's going to reflect on your name among the heathen? But anyway, the search has started now. They're trying to find out what is uh, going on. And as I said, sometimes we just get sorry about the situation, but we never search for the solution. When it comes to Christians, failure... And I realize none of us are perfect, but failure is inexcusable because regardless of what happens, we need to consider the cause. To just accept failure, accept defeat in our life is not acceptable with God. So the search begins, and notice how it began. It began with what? Prayer, right? They started with prayer. That, by the way, that's the way it should have started. But I read that and I kind of would scratch my head and wonder to myself why they didn't pray before. Because you read the record here and there's, there's no indication that before they went up to battle there against the little city of Ai that they prayed. Nobody suggested, well, you know, we better, we better have a word of prayer now before we go. They just presumed that they were going to get the victory. To the extent, and don't miss this, to the extent that they did not even take the ark. Now, the ark of the covenant represented the presence of God. You know, we talk a lot about the tabernacle, and a lot of folks don't realize the tabernacle was built to house the ark. It was the, the tabernacle wasn't the important object. It was the ark because the ark represented the presence of God. And here they are presuming, hey, we've got this. We don't need God. Just leave him behind. Now, we all understand that, you know, the ark, we, we don't have the ark today. Wouldn't use it if we had it. That wouldn't be our you know, our purpose, we're not under the old Levitical priesthood and all of that stuff that the ancient Jews were under. Uh, you know, things are different now. I understand that. But there's so many times that we presume that we can survive and thrive and be victorious 
even without the Lord. We don't come out and say that. We, we, we wouldn't dare do that. You know, I can make it. I'm tough or I'm smart. I, I, I can make it through this bad situation. We don't say that, but so many times we conduct ourselves in that very way. They should have prayed ahead of time, but they didn't. But at least they're doing the right thing now. They're praying. Finally, thank God for that. Because there are some people who go out and suffer defeat, maybe because they didn't pray, and then they still don't pray. They, you know what happens then, don't you? They go out and they suffer another defeat, and another, and another. All right, they're on the search. Well... Let's see what they find, because now our attention is turned to the sin. Verse number 10, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and they have stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. And therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. I just now recognized it. I didn't realize I was doing it, but it's strange that this relates right back to last Sunday night. We talked about the windows of heaven, and we talked about the fact that that verse in Malachi 3.10 is not so much about dollars as it is about duty about our responsibilities, right? Amen. And what did the Lord say about pronouncing a what on them? A curse. And, and now the Lord is telling them that you are a curse. There, there's a curse upon you. Why? Because they had taken that which did not belong to them. Now we look at Achan and we'll, you read on and you see there's a fellow by the name of Achan that was the guilty party here, but in a sense all of Israel was, was considered guilty. But whenever you look at his particular part in this sin, you put the label of covetousness on it, right? That, that's what it was about. He saw something that he wanted, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, and so he took it. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we say, well, uh, there's n nothing here for me. Move on to the next point because I don't have a problem being covetous about anything. So, uh, that, you know, that's not my sin. Well, that's just the point I'm trying to make. Any sin is dangerous. It might be, it might be unlike, you know, with a lot of us that fail in that area, it might be that you've really got a handle on it and you don't have any problem at all in being covetous, but, boy, you you just have a dirty, rotten attitude, and you are bitter and cantankerous. And you, you see, it can be forty, eleven different kinds of sins. So the, the point is, that not necessarily that particular sin, but it's whatever the sin is that brings a curse from God upon us and robs us of His blessings. And the whole—if you read on the rest of the story here—you'll see that Achan had 
evidently no intention whatsoever in dealing with this sin as long as he could get by with it. He wasn't going to say anything about it. I mean, I don't see any indication that he had a guilty conscience and thought, oh my, what I did was so horribly wrong. I took what belonged to God. And remember, that's what had happened when they went into Jericho. You go back to chapter number uh, 16 and, and notice how God had instructed them. Look in verse 18 of the last chapter. And he says, if you in any wise... Keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all of the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the sanctuary of the Lord. You see, this was the first fruits of what they were to gain upon their entrance into the promised land. And the first fruits always belonged to God. And after that, remember, after that, God was giving them everything. The houses, the vineyards, and everything belonged to them after that. But God said, the first fruits belong to me. Don't you dare take those. And in spite of the instruction, that is exactly what Achan did. And his sin affected the entire nation. Not only had they been instructed, but they had been warned. You go over to Deuteronomy 32 and verse 23, where it said, Be sure your sins will find you out. I can almost guarantee you that had you, had you been able to ask Achan about that verse of Scripture, he would have known it. Every good Jew in that day would have known about the situation that existed back then. And God said, be sure your sin will find you out. That was a stern warning from the God of heaven about sin. And they took the first fruits that belonged to God and Achan hid those things in his tent. Well, that's the problem, and the search has been uh, enacted. Prayer has been offered. The sin has been discovered now. And we, we look at the solution, and we pick up the story in verse number 13, actually. But I want you to just to notice beginning in verse 16, where it, because the Lord is instructing Joshua as to the nature of the sin and so forth. And Joshua rose up early in the morning. I love that part of it. He got up early in the morning. Now remember, this is right after the Lord has told him what the problem is. They've been praying, wanting to know why we suffered this defeat. And so the Lord tells him what the problem is. And you know, it wouldn't have been terrible if it would have said, and, and the very next week, Joshua did thus and thus. Right? Uh, you know, why delay? There are people at risk here. There are lives that have been lost. And, and so it says that he rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And then he goes through a process of elimination. You know, he's got the particular tribe, and then he reduces it down to, uh, to the family, and then it tells us in verse number 18, a man by the name of Achan was taken, and Joshua was said unto Achan, verse 19, 
My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. Tell me now, what hast thou done? Hide it not from me. You know, the only solution to sin is to deal with it. That, that's the only solution. I mean, we can study about it, and, you know, it, it, it'd be funny if it wasn't so serious whenever we look at what's going on in the world today and we think about our society and we think about the different issues. And I'm talking about issues that need attention. How do we solve this societal problem, you know, or that one. And somebody says, well, it's got to start with education, you know. we got to enact some, some classes and get the kids whenever they're young and start, you know, developing their minds and so forth and set the table for further instructions. It'll go deeper. And, and then we, besides that, we need some government programs. And, and, uh, and, and you, you know what I'm talking about. It goes on and on and on. We've got all of these specialists in all of these different areas. And, I often think about where we are today and wonder how in God's name did people ever raise their kids two or three hundred years ago. And I don't know. I think they kind of did a pretty good job compared to the mess we're in today. They didn't have any of those programs and all of that nonsense and so forth. And you see, the whole problem of the matter is we're not really dealing with the sin issue. It's like, well, yeah, we got to, we got to accommodate this segment of society, and there's some, you know, that they're not sure about what gender they are, so we got to build bathrooms for all of them, and let's just deal with the issue. If a, you know, if a person doesn't know what gender they are, maybe they ought to be locked up somewhere. That ought to go over big going out over the airways. Yeah, I ought to hear about that. But, I mean, can somebody uh, look at It's pretty easy to figure that out, you know. And, and so, somebody that doesn't even know that has got to be some kind of a threat to society, I would think. The solution is deal with it. And that's what Joshua was doing. I mean, he called this guy out on it. He didn't go to Achan and... Now, I don't know the exact process of just how the Lord revealed this to him that it was Achan, but he did, and he knew who it was. And he didn't go there with some kind of an apologetic attitude. Like, well, you know, Achan, I've known you for a long time, and I know, my dear brother, that you didn't intend any harm. It was just a simple mistake. You was having a bad day, blah, 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 blah. And if you just give it back, everything will be all right. He went there urging him to deal with this issue. And Nathan answered Joshua and said, I'm in verse 20, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish gar garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold and 50 shekels of weight. Then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Now I want you to notice the sorrow that ensues as a result of the sin that was committed. So Joshua sent messengers and ran. They ran sense of urgency here they ran 
under the tent, and behold, it was hid in the tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them into the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. And wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Acre unto this day. What horrible suffering. Here is a, an example of how an aching heart can bring about an aching heart. You talk about heart, but we're talking about the destruction of a family. And I know somebody's might be thinking, you know, they might that just seems so unfair. Maybe you're thinking Joshua and, and the people of Israel went overboard. They they shouldn't have done that. And look, that's not our place to judge what God decides to do with people. It's not our God you you, you mark it down. God had a good reason for taking that action. And at least a part of that reason is to send us a clear message that I am not going to tolerate sin in the life of my people. It's just not going to happen. And we read this story, we need to get that message. Unto whom much is given, of him shall much be required. We have the information. Now, let's, let's just summarize all of this. I want to mention three things. I want you to leave here tonight taking note of the dangerous course of sin. Let's just kind of go through what he said there in verse number 21. And here's the dangerous course of sin. There's the deadly temptation I saw. And I've got to tell you, for the most part, you can't do anything about what you see in the world today. You, you, you'll never live long enough to be spiritual enough that you won't be tempted. So there's the deadly temptation I saw. But notice the desire. He says, I coveted. Now, this is where things are really getting out of hand because we don't have to do that. And then there's the disobedience. I took. And then the dishonesty, he says, I hid. He knew what he did was wrong or he wouldn't hide it. So now he's hid it, and that brings us to the destructive consequences. You know, it would have been bad enough had it been, it was horrible that those 36 men died. But, but then to think about the fact that because of his sin that Achan himself died. But you've got to add to that list of casualties, his entire family died as a result of it. 
We need to keep in mind what horrible things might happen as a result of sin in our life. Paul was very conscious about that. He, took, he went to great pains to be sure that he didn't put a stumbling block in front of someone else. In fact, he said, if eating meat makes my brother to offend, I'll eat no meat while the world standeth. You've got to be serious to say that. I mean, if you, come from, if you come from the Ozarks where I came from, you know, and you're a beef and pork lover, I mean, you've got to be serious. I'll, I'll, just, I'll become a vegetarian. But Paul was serious about it. He didn't want to be a stumbling block to anyone. And we shouldn't either. And then we think about families that are torn apart as a result of sin. Uh, And I know later on we might look back on and think, why did I do that? How could I have been so stupid? But the family's already torn apart. Or it might be a church. You'd, You'd be amazed if you knew what slight things have literally been the catalyst for tearing a, a church apart, ruining it, all because somebody was insistent, you know, on having their way. I, you know, I, I, I'm just not going to give in. I'm not going to compromise. And, and so you have a big fight, and the result of that, a church is destroyed. And then we see the divine cure, which is what? Well, it's to deal with the sin. I'm so glad that confession of sin takes care of our past sins. Isn't that great? To know that God would be so gracious that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we need to be just as concerned about the future as we are about the past. By that, I mean that we should not only pray, Lord, forgive me of my sin, but Lord, help me that I do not do it again. The only way we can be assured of that is what? Is to draw nigh unto God because He draws nigh unto us. And as we yield ourselves to Him, we are enabled... We don't, we're not able, but we are enabled by the Lord to conquer the temptation in our life. We need to learn to give Him the first part of every day, first day of every week, the first portion of every dollar, and the first consideration in every decision that we make. We should never just, and I'm telling you, people do it all of the time. Well, I think I'm going to do this, or I think I'm going to do that, or I want to do this, or I want to do that, or somebody suggested it'd be a good idea. You, you better pray about what you do before you do it. They didn't pray till after their world caved in around them. It'd be a whole lot better to pray and just be led of the Lord in whatever you do, and to know that your steps are ordered by the Lord instead of governed by the flesh. Verse 26, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. We do some things that we can't undo. It happened with David. David sinned. David confessed. David was forgiven. The baby died. 
do things we can't undo. And we can't control that. We could have prevented it, but we can't control it. That's for God to decide. But the wise choice is to make sure that whenever we're holding back on God, we're not talking about silver and gold and Babylonian garments now. We're talking about whatever it is that we're keeping back that God wants, our time, our talent, our whatever it is. And we hold it back, and God says, that's mine. I want it. You're bought with a price. You belong to me. I want it. And we refuse. We put ourselves in the same kind of jeopardy that Achan found himself in. We ought to know better than that, don't you think? Let's stand. Father, how we thank you not only for the exceeding great and precious promises that you've given us in your word, but we thank you for the stern warnings, the warnings that are issued out of a heart of love, out of deep concern for your people. And I pray tonight that we might heed those warnings. May we be convinced in our heart that you always have our best interest at heart, that you're concerned about whatever concerns us. And help us, Lord, to live lives of obedience to you in all things, whether whether we understand it or not, whether we agree with it or not, whether it's popular or not, help us, Heavenly Father, to be like the, the clay in the hand of the potter and let you take us and mold us and make us into what you'd have us to be. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's